But it's interesting, he says, I have become. Not that I am. That in that gives us the idea that at some point in time, if this were true, again, this is a a if-then statement, if this were possible, so if if he does it but does not have love, then then he has become. He he is no longer what he once was. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, okay, if I am this way in the future and I don't have love, guess what? I have become something that I am not now. I was not in the past. I think Paul is getting at something. They started so well. They started in love with Christ. But they have lost their first love. They have lost the one they love so much. And they have begun to elevate the gifts above Him. That is more important to them to have these gifts than it is to have Christ in their lives. Paul is not trying to make us think that gifts are trash and should be just thrown out. Paul is saying that if our love for Jesus propels us to move in His Spirit, then that is when we will function properly as a church. Remember in Revelation, if you'll turn there with me, This is a prime example. We see in chapter 3. Verse 14, I've kind of quoted it already. He's writing to the church in Laodicea and he says, I know your deeds. Well, wait, let's, let's start it here. Yeah. That you have neither, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. One or the other. So because you are lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich. I am wealthy. I have need of nothing. Do you think that he's only referring to physical richness and wealth? I don't know. He could be referring to their attainment of spiritual things. Much like the church in Corinth. They had it all. When it came to spiritual gifts, they had everything that anyone would want in their church. But here he's saying, You say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind 
and naked. You have nothing. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness shall not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. They've attained all these things, but they don't have Him. It's empty. They have forgotten what is important. Have we allowed the gifts to overwhelm? Have we accepted those as more important than an intimate relationship with Christ as Lord and Savior? Are, is our life stamped with the love of Christ? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Because if not, we have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We're not in harmony with anyone. We're just like outside in the yard and some kids banging up against us, making noise. Not like those people who play in the orchestra, you're like, how did he get that gig? He gets to be up there with all these famous musicians and he beats a gong. But that takes skill, apparently. I, hopefully I don't know any gong players or cymbal experts. <laughs> but the difference is here it's a noisy and a clanging. It's just it's indiscriminate. It's useless. Just noise. Have we become that way? Okay, maybe this isn't hitting home, okay? Maybe we haven't elevated this gift specifically. Well, Paul isn't done. Verse 2, he says... If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So Paul is, we're seeing him go through Gifts. In this point, we see prophecy. And if you remember, word of knowledge and word of wisdom. That would speak to mysteries and knowledge. Why is Paul addressing these specific issues? Is it he has a vendetta against these things? I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. If you'll turn with me 
to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I, I believe Paul is addressing specific problems in their church. Things that they have come to the place where they are elevating specific spiritual gifts to such a point that their motivation, their way of life is proclaiming that they don't love one another, but they want fame and power and to be noticed. So he says in, in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 2, If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. And then if you jump down to verse 11, he says, For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brothers for whose sake Christ died. Paul is upset here in chapter 8, and I think he's getting at it again here. And, and I'll, I'll use a quote um, from Gordon Fee about this specific passage. He says, If one person could embrace the whole range of charismata, or the, the gifts, and the full measure of any one of them, but at the same time would fail to act in love towards someone else, such a person would amount to nothing in the sight of God. So what's he he's saying? If God were to give you the gift of prophecy or, or a gift of the, the gift of the Spirit in such a measure that it is full. Your prophecy was so good that you knew so much, everything that was possible in that gift, or the gift of knowledge, or the gift of wisdom, words of wisdom, wisdom. You had these in full measure, in complete meaning. And even if you had it in that way, if we failed to be moved in those gifts by love? If love was not the motivation and the reason and the impetus to do that, then we would be nothing in the sight of God. That's what Paul's saying, right? He says, but do not have love, I am nothing. Wait, you, you, so you're telling me, Paul, that if I can prophesy, if I have knowledge that only comes from God, and I have wisdom and, and understanding to know the mysteries of all things, and I can move mountains with my faith, that I am nothing... I mean, that's, that would shock a lot of people. Remember the parable of the goats? At the end, Jesus says, some, some people came and said, well, we did this, we did that. We, we cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. We did this in your name. And what does Jesus say? He says, I never knew you. How many of us have done 
those things. I haven't. Many of the things on that list are things that are right here. So you're telling me that someone that has been given those gifts could make it to heaven and be lost? Not even make it? This is a warning. It should, honestly, it should cause us to think, Lord, why do I want to see your spirit move in my church? Why do I want to see your gifts flow here? Is it because I want a name for myself? Is it because I want to be recognized in the community? Is it because I want this for my church? Do, what is the purpose? Why, why do I want this? If our motivation is not to see the church built up, then it's not in love. Because that is the purpose of the gifts, to build up the church of Christ. Paul has made that absolutely clear. And when we love one another, we begin to move in the Spirit because we want to see one another growing into a greater measure of Christ. We're not just moving mountains so that we can get a little check in the back. You know? We're not going on television and saying, if you send me a thousand dollars, God will bless you with two thousand. If you send me your financial gift, then I promise you God will do this in your life. That is greed. That's not love. They don't love you. They, they just want you to give them money. And guess what? When it doesn't work, what are they going to say? Oh, you didn't have faith. Right? Isn't that how it works out? Do we desire these gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, miracle-working faith for the building up of the church of Christ to see people who have faith in God? Or do we desire these things so that they'll say, Wow, Caleb, you're a great faith Minister, while SCA, you have it all. We wish we could all move there. Is that what we want? Or do we want a healthy body that loves Jesus so much that we see His power transforming us through His Spirit and His gifts and transforming our neighbors our friends, our co-workers, our acquaintances at the grocery store, the bank tellers. Is it love that motivates us or is it selfishness? Is it pride? It's so easy to think, well, I want to do this for the right reason. 
I think Paul really digs down when we get to verse 3. If we took verse 3, especially the first half, how many churches could say they do this? Just listen. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, I don't know of any churches that do that. We give some, but just imagine, okay, let's just change that to some. If I give some of my possessions to four, four. Paul's saying, to the extent that is possible, like everything. If I gave everything I had, all that belonged to me, all my property, so that I could feed the poor, and if I surrendered my body to be burned... There's a question here about this word to be burned. Because there's two different manuscripts and some wonder if it is if I surrender my body to boast, not in himself but into the Lord, to to suffering because in both manuscripts it's it's one letter that's different. It's amazing what one one letter can do. To change the meaning of a word. But either way, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm telling you this because you may run into someone and they'll tell you that and you'll be like, what? I've never heard of that. I had never heard of it until I started studying and I cannot come to a conclusive decision. So I'm going to leave that with you. You'll see in some translations that it says this and in others it says my body to, to boast. But nonetheless, this is a surrender of, a seeming surrender to, oh yes, I love Jesus, so I'm going to lay it all down, no matter what the cost. May not necessarily mean being burned at the stake. But I, I'm going to do it all. But do not have love. Time out. Why in the world would I give up all that I own and be willing to die if I don't love. Is that even possible? Yes. Paul's not making this statement as though it's not possible. He's saying it's possible. It's possible for us to give all that we own to feed the poor. And to even give our bodies over to pain and suffering for the cause of Christ. And still miss it so you're telling me this is someone talking to me maybe so you're telling me Paul that there are people who have died saying it's for the love of Christ and they didn't love him that they're going to stand before the throne of God and hear I never knew you That's hard. That's a hard message for anyone.
Why do people give? What are motivations? We can say love, right? It's a motivation. It can, it can be a way of life. How many of you have ever given anonymously? Now I know. No. <laughs> have you ever struggled when giving anonymously? You're like, man, I wish I could tell him I gave it to him. Am I the only person that's had that problem? You, you secretly want them to know, but God is telling you no. That, that's, that's none of their business. So you, in your heart, you desire to give it secretly, but then pride comes up. And that person, I had a situation where that person thought it was someone else. I was like, oh, but I did it. Ah. And God was like, no, I did it through you. And I was like, oh. But it made it hard because I, I wanted that person to know that I was loving them. No, if, if, if it was all about me loving them, then it was selfish, right? I did it because I want them to know how I feel. And to receive that love in return. There are tons of humanitarian organizations in the world. I mean, even religions that aren't Christian take care of the sick, the homeless, the orphans, the helpless, the innocent. So to assume that giving what we have to take care of the poor and the needy is a sign of Christian love is ridiculous. That doesn't mean that we say, oh, be warmed and be feel, filled. We already know that's not how we act. We do provide for needs, but to assume that giving of our gifts, that our actions are always transparent, demonstrating our love, is not true. I've met many missionary groups from the United States when we lived in Guatemala that I know their motivation for going, they, they were coming from churches. And I don't want to offend people, but it, it was obvious the way they talked about giving, that their giving was for the way it made them feel. It just feels so good to give. Or they would ignore truth and still give. For example, when we would go when, in two communities that we lived nearby and we worked with churches there, in one church... Well, both churches, the membership influx before a mission team came was just through the roof. I mean, it was like a revival was going on. Everyone was getting saved, you know. Everybody was a Christian then in the community. Um, but one church was especially active and the revivals were coming on. But it wasn't because the pastor was telling them to revive. It was because they heard 
that missionaries were coming. They weren't looking for Jesus. They were looking for a handout. And so the church would overwhelmingly get huge for those that time period. And they would continue to stay even when they saw that the missionaries had gone because they were like, well, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they're going somewhere else and they'll be back. We don't, we don't want to miss out. But very, in, in the first church we were at, very little was said about the gospel in the, in the giving. By God's grace, he, he taught me, when someone, by going to that church, we often were seen as dollar signs. You know, they saw me and they thought, well, he has, he's got lots of money. And I mean, in all honesty, I was blessed. I'm not saying I wasn't blessed, but I'm not a dollar sign. And so we started going to the pastor of that church. And I would say, hey, so-and-so said this. They had this need. What do you say? Well, he told me in one situation where the lady had told him that she needed some kind of a surgery. And he said, okay, I'll give it to you. They came back a month later and said they still needed money for that surgery. And he goes, what, uh, what did you do with the money I gave you for that surgery? Oh, we had things that came up we needed to, were more important. He said, I thought this was like life or death surgery you were talking about. And so by going to him and asking him the situation, I didn't know the people in this community, but by asking him, I found out that this woman didn't want to receive love. She wanted a handout. She wanted someone to provide for her instead of the Lord. And so would it have been loving for me to give all that I possessed so that I could take care of that need that she had? No, I'm just perpetuating a sinful state of mind. It's kind of like there was one area that we lived or we would go and, and witness in, in Guatemala City, very dangerous area. And the longer we got there, the conditions got better, the physical conditions. When we first went down there, there was open sewage and um, this wasn't in the Guatemala City dump. Well, that too. But both of these areas that we would go, but the condition of the people spiritually hadn't changed. So they, the next time we came, that there were concrete streets and uh, sewage lines underneath. This was in the Guatemala City dump area and in this place called La Lemonada, which was where all the drug people were. But guess what? We, we could walk the streets of both of those places and see the same Sin problems. There were people who felt sorry for those communities and, and had given so that they could, could have a better physical condition. But what was the problem? They're, they were still rotting and heading to hell. We just, they had just been made their life a little bit more comfortable on the road to hell. They hadn't dealt with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to say we don't help, right? Because that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that if love is not the impetus for our lives, if, it's, if our lives aren't lived in love, then it doesn't matter if we do 
good. We even lay down our lives. It doesn't matter if we do that if it's not for love. If love is not our life, then it's worthless. Right? He says, I am nothing or no one. It's better that I didn't even live. I came up with a mathematical formula for the last one because he says, it profits me nothing. So, if you can follow along, I know uh, Laura would like this, maybe. (laughs) Actions slash gifts minus love equal nothing. Zero. So, actions minus love equals zero. Not even a penny. You know, I'm I'm sitting down at my my checkbook looking at my profits for the month, and I put out all this action and all these gifts, but I didn't do it in love. And when I do the math, I'm shocked to find out that my profits are zero. I did all that for nothing? What? Have you ever had that happen in your actual work? Huh? Yeah. Joel's shaking his head. You know, you you put forth a lot of effort uh, sanding a hardwood floor, and you realize, wait, I made like I made nothing. Materials and 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 the materials were more than my labor. What? I need to do the math better next time. Well, that's, that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, if love is not the primary ingredient in our action as a church, in our function as members of a church, then we might as well be not even here. If we don't love the Lord and we don't love one another, then our prophets are nothing. It's just equaled out. We'll leave here the same today and then next week and the following week and we'll end up being like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. Oh, I speak in tongues. Great. If Paul was preaching to the church today, he would probably change this a little bit. Especially some churches that I'm... I know about. A lot of churches now put a lot of emphasis on their worship team. Like us. <laughs> you know, the fog machines and the lights that we have here. If you're watching, you know I'm joking. If you're not, yes, it's a joke. <laughs> well, Paul could say, if you have the best worship leader and the best musicians, and the best atmosphere for a worship service, but do not have love, it's useless. It's nothing. Or maybe it's knowledge. 
You have a, a head full of knowledge of God. You, oh man, you've just been soaking it in for your whole life. You're just so knowledgeable about the things of God. You have theology dripping out your ears. But you don't have love? Profit you nothing. I mean, we can throw so many things into this passage and it apply. Because love should be what our life is about. It is a necessity to the Christian walk. And you cannot have this love by working it up. You can't work up love. It is something that only God gives. So if you are sitting here today and you're thinking, oh, this is a great message. Man, I'm going to go home sad and despondent today because I can't even get this by working it up. Don't be cast down. Turn to the Lord. Ask the Lord to fill you with His love because if the love of God is not the motivating, the entirety of who you are as a Christian, you will quit. Because love is the only reason relationships happen. Just ask Mr. and Ms. Lanham. They didn't make it 57 years because they quit. They made it 57 years because they made a commitment to love no matter how they felt about one another. Love is not just a feeling. It is a choice. A commitment. Christ showed His love on the cross. Do you think it was easy in the Garden of Eden for Him? Or not Garden of Eden. Oh my. Garden of Gethsemane to think about what was coming. No, he was shedding and sweating tears of and blood. It just I can't imagine. But it was love that helped him stay in the path. Everything in his human desires said, run, call on those angels. But love impelled him, propelled him to the cross. You want to finish well? It's by knowing Christ. It's by loving Him and delighting in His presence. Because when you begin to delight in His presence, when you come around others who love Him, you're going to delight in their presence too because you both love the same one. I'm sorry I'm getting a little excited. My voice is getting a little hoarse. But if love is not the force that not only drives us, but lives within us, Christ in us, we can't love one another correctly. I can't even love my wife right without Christ. And she definitely can't love me without Christ. And that's not a reflection on her, it's more a reflection on me. Our love is an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. I read a I read a quote 
Well, it's actually a... Well, let's look at the verse where it comes from. And then I'll, I'll read the quote. Psalm 73. I didn't have this planned, but I think this would be helpful. Psalm 73, I think a lot of us can relate to this passage. I don't know if you've read it lately. In this passage, the psalmist is wondering, why does it seem like the wicked flourish and the, the righteous are living in famine all the time? Why, why is it so hard? And it's funny, he starts this psalm out, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Oh, this is a good start to... to but then he says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. Well, today it would be slit and fit, you know, <laughs> shredded. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like the mankind. So he's, he's just whining. Oh, God, why does it seem like everything's good for them, but it's really hard for me? And then, as he gets near the end, he says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? Who do I have? No one. And beside you I desire nothing on earth. What happened? The psalmist went into the presence of God. He went into the presence of God and he realized, Wait. And we see that in verse 17. He says, Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. What? Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. What he was, his bitterness had kept him from seeing the truth of what was happening. But when he went into the presence of God, when he began to spend time with God, he realized something. He had everything he needed in Christ. Well, we don't say Christ here, but in God. Christ is a part of the Godhead. My flesh, verse 26, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you say that? Can you say, 
If I give all to the poor, if I die for Christ, if I speak in tongues and all these things, if all that happens and nothing seems to good come to me for it, I don't care. But God is the strength of my heart and He's my portion forever. If you as a Christian can say that, that's love. That's what Christ did. He loved and guess what? He was murdered on a cross. He took our sin upon Him. He was not esteemed of men. He was stricken, smitten. He bore the wrath of God. And yet He still loved. He laid down His life. He did not care what people thought of Him because His love impelled Him to die for us. Because He loved us despite our rebellion and our hatred of Him. We could have, before Christ came and spoke to our hearts, been indicted for hate crimes against Christ. Against God. But God in His mercy sent us His Son. If we can end this way, it says, But as for me, verse 28, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. We need to be with the Lord. We need to spend time with Him because the more time we spend with the Lord, the more we will be able to love one another. Not a wrote, okay, I'm going to read a passage today because I have to. No, it's relationship the Lord requires of us. If you don't desire to spend time with the Lord in prayer and, and reading your, the Word and, and even fellowship with other believers, cry out, Lord, give me a love for you that would cause me to love others. What's the great, the great two great commandments according to Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't love God, we will not love one another. It's just inevitable. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, I know that there are areas in my life where your love has not controlled, is not permeating and filling every part. Father, I just ask that you would fill me with a love for you that would overcome my selfishness, my pride, or that I would humbly come before you and learn to love you, and that that love would overflow to your body here to the world around me, the lost who are dying and going to hell. Lord, give me a love for your church. Give me a love for you. Father, I pray you would fill us with your spirit so that we would be a demonstration of people who love the Lord. And live 
in accordance with that love. Lord, go with us today. May we experience your love in our conversation, in our actions, and Lord, that our lives would demonstrate that to all we encounter. Give us a greater picture of who and what Christ did for us, that we would know his love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. We're not done with love. Next week we're going to be... I'll go ahead and give you the title. I know you're just waiting, but Love on Display is what the title is next week. So we're going to to see what this love, how this love is described. I think it's going to, it's going to be convicting for me just preparing, but I, I would pray that it's only three, three verses, so you could read them this week and just ask the Lord to expose the impatience in your life. I know none of you but me have it. Um, the pride, the selfishness, that God could begin to work in us to cleanse us of our selfishness that keeps us from loving as we should. So have a blessed week, and I do pray the Lord would go with you and, and teach you about love this week.